Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of another day of life, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful sunlight, Lord, which illuminates through these windows and reminds us, Lord, that you cast beauty about so spectacularly in this world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for making us a part of your creation, Lord, and giving us a role, Lord, in this redemption of your creation, Lord, that we can be carers and bearers of your gospel, Lord, recipients and then sharers of the good news. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we come to you broken. We come to you beaten down, Lord, and hurting. We come to you disoriented, Lord, and confused. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would reveal yourself to us powerfully, And Lord God, that you would help us to be filled with your hope and with joy, Lord God, looking forward to your return. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning, everybody. It is spectacular to see you all today. Uh, The other day, I went out on a hike uh, with my dog, Bart. Bart is always up for an adventure. He loves road trips. He loves sitting in the car when I'm working on the car. He loves hiking. He, he does not like water. But he um, <clears throat> he's a big dog. He's a big dog. You've probably seen him on our porch, maybe like barking at chihuahuas as they go past. He loves the idea of little dogs and wants to play with every single one of them. But Bart is a big dog. He is a lab pointer pit bull mix. And there is just, he's just big. And as he's matured, he's gotten quite big around the middle, too. Right? He hasn't been getting as much exercise as he probably should. And so it's starting to show on Bart. So I thought, hey, let's go out on this hike together. I had no idea where we'd be going necessarily. I thought we'd be going uh, up off of Bowman Lakes Road, off of Highway um, 20. And we did, but I wasn't exactly sure where we were, where we were going from there. I had no goals. I was just kind of coming out of being sick with the flu, and so I didn't want to have high expectations. But the more I hiked, the better I felt, right? Suddenly my body started to work. It's just amazing when you're coming out of being sick, that feeling of suddenly being able to do things again. Um, And so Bart and I were going up there. We started. Uh, We were in the area below the the Spalding Dam, right, and hiking up from the Yuba River. Uh, We ended up hiking up a canyon, and then we decided to hike this this hill, this mountain that was on the way. And so we started hiking up there, and Bart and I were going along together, and he'd be in front, or I'd be in front, or we'd be side by side. And um, sometimes we'd come to a spot where it was a little steep for him, and so he would kind of like be trying to figure out how to get around it. And I'd try and let him figure it out and problem solve. And, and But then sometimes I had to be like, hey, Bart, come up right here, and then he'd get up there. Other times... He'd get up on something, he'd get halfway up, and then he'd be, you know, so you hear that, and you're like, okay, I know you need help, and pull him up, right, get him up over that rock or whatever he was stuck on. By the time we got to the top of that mountain and and up to the dam, uh, it is a beautiful view. I mean, seeing um, Old Man Mountain and the Sierras stretched out, but Bart was tired. He was tired, I could tell. I was like trying to get him to lay down, and he's just like... Oh, dragon. And I thought, oh, this is going to be difficult because we have to get home, right? You know, it's not an option to just spend the night up there. It gets really cold in Sierras at night. And I figured, well, it's not going to be that bad because it's just downhill. It's just downhill, so it's a lot easier. So we went down this different route thinking it might be easier down another canyon. 
And we got down to the bottom of that, and we ended up in this enormous boulder field. Enormous. It was huge. I mean, it just went as far as you could see. And um, they were not little boulders. It was like along the Yuba boulders, because it was the Yuba. It's way up on the South Fork. Like, boulders is high, like from the ground up to here. You know, so you'd be going along, and it would be okay, and then suddenly you come to one that just drops off. And so we'd have to go and backtrack and find a way around so that Bart and I could make it through. He kept going slower and slower, and we got to the river and got water, and he kind of like perked up a little bit. And then we went through a little more of the boulder field, and it just kept going as far as I could see. And I was like, where is that road we were on before? Because I'm wanting that road right about now. And then one time I turned around and Bart just wasn't there. So I backtracked, went back looking for him, and he was sitting on top of a rock, obviously not comfortable. And I looked at him and his paws, he had worn off some of the pads on each of his paws, right? He had been just running his little heart out and climbing and he was done. He wouldn't move anymore. That was it for Bart. So he's about 90 pounds. I didn't tell you that earlier, right? But he loves to be carried like a baby or held like a baby. So he thinks he's a lap dog. So I pick him up behind his back legs in front of his front, hoist him up. And what he does when you hold him like that is he puts his head back along the side of your face. Like, and uh, not a whole lot of that this time. He was not feeling so hot. So there we are. I'm going through this field, trying this boulder field, trying to remember where my feet are, right? So because you can only see, you lose three steps in vision. So trying to figure, okay, wait, is it the edge of the rock now? Is this when I do the step of faith? Or So we get a few carries that way. I get them uh, a few hundred yards. And there he is. <laughs> and I'm just done at this point too. Like my arms and my back, right? It's really hard to carry a dog like that for a long ways. <clears throat> and so I realized the only way we're getting out of here is if I put them on my shoulders. Which is complicated, right? You don't really think about that. Like, so um, he, I get him to stand up, get him to stand up on top of this about three foot high rock. And then I duck my head in between his legs and then hoist him up. And I didn't know how he was going to do. Is he going to be like freak out and try and flip off my shoulders? But no, he just like laid there. And so I had him by like the legs. I'm holding him. And we're going, and I can make better time like this because I can see. It's amazing how much that helps. And so we're going across the rocks, and uh, we get about three legs this, well, he's got four legs, I've got two, but we get about three carries that way. Uh, we make it about uh, about a third of a mile, maybe a half a mile, somewhere in there. Um, that way, we get over out of the rock field, through a swamp, and then to this gravel road that I know I can't get to because it's blocked off at the highway. But at that point, we were just done, right? Bart would not stand anymore. And if he wouldn't stand, I couldn't get him on my shoulders. Because I could, like, lift him up, and then I'd try and duck down under there, and he would go like this immediately. You know, so it was just the end, right? No more carrying. I couldn't pick him up anymore. My body was just spent. Um, and there we were. And the sun was setting. Yeah. Now, over the course of that hike, our relationship changed, right? I'm not saying, no, no, we like are still were buddies, right? But the nature of our relationship changed, right? We were companions at the beginning, 
And then at some point I was his guide trying to show him. Other times I was his assistant, like helping him under his own strength to get over something he couldn't. And then ultimately I was his carrier. Right? I was his strength for him. That relationship changed and moved throughout the course of our day together. And I think something like that is happening in our passage from Second Thessalonians. Uh, Paul writes this church to the le- to this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's referencing a specific problem. In that church, there are some who are working hard, who are going out, doing their jobs, um, come back at the end of the day, serve, you know, they're they're um, sufficient in doing their things, and there's other people who are just sitting on their hands, right? It says they're busy, body, busy bodies, they're active doing stuff, but they're not doing anything that's beneficial to themselves, really. Uh, there's debate about why they're doing this, why that one group is accused of being lazy. Some say it's because that group is thinking that um, the second coming of Christ, the end of, the, the, the end of this world, is coming uh, rapidly, and so they're just kind of, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, we may be dead, kind of thing. Uh, others say they're just being lazy because they're being lazy. Right, and really when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter their motivation. The problem is you've got one group of people working hard, the other group not, but expecting to be cared for. <clears throat> so what this group is doing is they've been sitting back and mooching off those who've been working and they were taking handouts from those people. They could have worked, this group could have worked, but was choosing not to work. It's not a matter of they were unable to work. Uh, They could have worked, but they didn't. In Paul's mind, this is unacceptable, and he points to an example. He points to himself. And Paul's job, aside from being an apostle and evangelist, was he was a tent maker. So what did Paul make, you think? Tents, exactly. You guys are sharp and on the ball today. That's good. He made tents. So what Paul would do is he'd come to a community, and he would set up his little REI there, And he would make tents and sell tents to people. And that's how he would support his ministry. That's how he would pay for his daily bread. That's how he would support himself. He chose to do this. He could have drawn a salary from the church. It was completely acceptable for him to do that. He could have been supported by the church. But instead, he chose to work outside the church so that no one could ever accuse him of going into ministry to get rich. Right, which we know most often, like happens quite frequently. People go in for the big money. Um, <clears throat> but that way he would not be beholden to anyone. He could say, look, like, I'm doing this freely for you. Which was probably a good decision on Paul's part because there were quite a few conflicts when he was the leader, or when he was um, between him and the churches he had planted. So Paul looks at those people in Thessalonica who could work and who aren't working, and he tells them to work, that they should support themselves. He then says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. What? What did Paul just say? Like, that is a pretty strong statement, don't you think? Right? Did Paul just contradict all the compassion, the mercy, and generosity that we see in the rest of the scriptures? No. No, he didn't. He didn't at all. But we're going to have to look at how this squares with the generosity and compassion that we're taught in the church. Now, Paul's statement brings about an important discussion. And it's one that lots of people are asking today. 
Uh, in particular, I'm reading a book by Robert Lupton called Toxic Charity. Anyone ever read this book? You should. It's really good. It's easy to read, which I like. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and the premise of this book is that sometimes, if it's not done right, our charity can hurt people, can hurt the people we're trying to care for. Our free giveaways can actually, if they're done wrong, be demeaning and steal the dignity from those we seek to serve. Right? If it's not done appropriately, it can say, look, I worked hard and I did this, but I know you can't. And so here I give you this. Right? You might not say that. No one would say that in their giving. But that's the underwritten reality sometimes for these generous gifts. Is the powerful giving to the not powerful. Instead of something that aligns people as peers. Which is what the gospel seeks to do. Now, instead of giving things away like this, the book argues that we should assist people in ways that are beneficial to them as humans, that maintain their dignity, maintain their identity as people, and support them as they seek to be self-sufficient. Now, the real problem with that, that second option, is that it requires a lot of thought, a lot of time, and requires us to get involved in the lives of others, doesn't it? Somebody comes by and asks for 20 bucks. Is it easier to give them 20 bucks or to hire them to work for you for four hours or, or two hours and, and then pay them at the end of that? What's easier? Give them the money is way easier, right? Because otherwise you have to supervise, you have to give them a task, you have to give them the tools, you have to make sure the work was done, and then you have to... That's harder, isn't it? But it's better. It's better. Uh, this does not deny the fact that at times in emergency situations, we do need to give money freely or things freely, right? If there's a hurricane, no one has anything. You can't say, okay, get a job and I'll pay you for it. No, like people need something sometimes. And the book argues that, that that is a good thing to do. Remember the old line, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day and teach him to fish and you do what? No, you make him frustrated the rest of his life. That's what it is. <clears throat> You're right, yeah. Feed them for a lifetime. That's right. You feed them for a lifetime. The reality, though, is that teaching somebody to fish takes a whole lot more time than tossing a fish to them. Doesn't it? It's a lot more work. It demands and creates relationship. But the fruit of this is it shows the person that they are capable and able to provide for themselves and that you care about them. You are willing to invest time from your life, your energy and your talents in their life. Now, Paul's whole argument flows from a theological position that began in the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve were set in the garden to tend the garden, and they were there to oversee the creation. They were there to work. Now, work in Eden was good because it was not till after the fall when they... Um, when they chose to disobey God, and that's when work became difficult for them. The ground started to come up with thorns and things like that. But despite the loose dress code, they still had to work in Eden. And it appears that that work will continue for us forever. Potentially, we will even have work in heaven, because we see that it's a restoration of Eden. And in Eden they worked, so potentially we work in heaven too. I'm sorry if that's a downer for anybody. But it will be good work. Work without toil. Uh, we were made to work, right? We were made to work. 
Some things say now that like one of the most detrimental things we can do for ourselves is sit down too much. Right? We were made, our bodies were made to be active, to be engaged, to be working, not to sit and be sedentary. God created us to work. And working can give us a sense of self and a sense of meaning and purpose in this world. Now, not everyone can work, right? Right, I mean, not everyone is physically capable of working. Sometimes there are things that happen, a person is incapacitated or whatever, and they, like, are babies, right? We don't expect them to go get a job, right? We care for people who are in a situation. Paul is not talking about that. Paul is not talking about going in the ICU and getting those people to do a job, right? Paul is saying that there are people who can work but are not working, and we should see we should seek to find ways to encourage them in their labor and find ways that they can work so that they can have dignity and a sense of purpose as humans in this world. We are created for it. And when we don't do it, we lose an aspect of that creation. Now, Bart and I, while we were hiking together at various phases in our hike, uh, you know, I talked about us being side by side at one point and then struggling as I guided him. And then I needed, at some point, to carry him. To carry him when he could not walk anymore. Now, for me to carry him while he was active and spry and jumping around, would that have made much sense? No, Bart could walk. He should have walked. And so he did walk. But for me to expect Bart to walk when his paws weren't working anymore, and when he was pooped, would that have been fair for me to expect of him? No, not at all. So what Paul is encouraging us to do is to have a view of others that we understand where they are and to meet them where they are and serve them in that place. In our outreach and care for others, Paul cautions us to consider how we are helping others. If we are actually serving them as people, serving them as fellow Christians, or whether we are actually uh, just enabling a state which is not beneficial for them. The gospel confronts us with the reality that all of us have reached a place where we cannot do any more work. The gospel is there because a work was set before us, the work of righteousness, and you and I failed. We dropped the ball. We were unable to do that work. And so Jesus Christ had to do the work on our behalf. He had to do the difficult task, the faithful task of being righteous and perfect before God for us. And so in light of the gospel, we confess our laziness, we confess our lack of concern for others, our lack of compassion, our desire to rather give something to somebody than to actually give them ourselves. We confess that to Jesus Christ because it's wrong. And we ask that he would forgive us and resurrect us, that we can truly love and care for people in this world. Since we have been loved so deeply, we are called to go out and love others deeply, to lay down our lives and to respect the dignity of others. Now, ultimately, Bart and I came to a point on that gravel road where I couldn't carry him anymore, and he wouldn't stand. We were both done. Like I said, the sun was starting to go down. 
I'd forgotten a headlamp. I mean, it was a bad situation. And so after praying, I did the last thing I could do. I called Tara. (laughs) Not a bad move, huh? Right, I called Tara. I called in the big guns, right? And she came and know what she brought? A a flashlight and a wheelbarrow. Right, and we got that wheelbarrow out there and we put the dog on a blanket in the wheelbarrow and we wheeled him out. Right, and he's now in the backyard doing great, hopping around, feeling good. But I needed help, too. I had gone from the carrier to needing to be carried myself as well. I mean, I didn't get in the wheelbarrow or anything, but like I couldn't carry the dog anymore. I was done. We all need help. We all need Jesus Christ to carry us. And our Lord Jesus Christ has taken our burden. He took it in the shape of a cross, put it upon his shoulders, and carried it up Golgotha and was crucified upon it. May we remember that truth and that reality as we seek to care for and love others. And may we lay our burdens at his feet. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your compassion for us, Lord. Thank you that you do bear our burdens. Lord, thank you uh, for carrying that cross, Lord, that weight that none of us could carry. And we pray, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to trust you, to confess our sins and brokenness to you, to confess our selfishness and our pride to you. Lord, and we pray that you would help us to love you and to love those people you put in our path, Lord. Help us to love them in ways, Lord, and care for them in ways that maintain their dignity, Lord, may we treat people as our peers. Lord, and may we care for them in a beautiful and wonderful, harmonious way that you teach us, Lord. Lord, we are all equal under the weight of your gospel. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to love one another. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.